reading. For those of you who don't know, we're not going to be reading the NIV version up here anymore. We're reading the ESV. So if you don't have that version handy, feel free to follow along on the screens. But today's reading comes from Ephesians 5, and it's the first 20 verses. Walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. Let me just um, fix Wade up with a few of his bits and pieces here. <laughs> it's my privilege this morning to, um, to share the word with you. And my name's Andrew. For those of you that are visiting or don't know me, I'm um, one of the pastors here. And um, I get to share this um, section of scripture with you today. Um, in Ephesians chapter 5 and if you've been coming along a little bit recently you will you will know that we've with a few exceptions we've been kind of going through Ephesians and and having a look at um, what Paul's saying to us in Ephesians and um, just to give you a, a quick snapshot to get you up to speed to just to remind you of the the broad brushstroke the big picture you know in Ephesians chapter 1 to 3 um, Paul spends time talking about who God is and, uh, and what he did for us, just the magnificent work that God did for us, what, he, he, what, the, what extent he went to for us. 
But he also talks about what he's doing for us continually. It's not just something that was historically, you know, that's nice, that's not for me. But what he's doing for us at salvation uh, is, is happening right now. He talks about, in the first three chapters, he talks about the power that he's given us, the, the, the capacity to, to live for him, to follow him, and to be the people he's calling us to be. And he shares in, in, in chapter 3, he begins to talk about his magnificent plan for us, that we are not randoms. That we're not people just that exist and, and we get to be born and we hopefully do 80 years, uh, some 80 years or so, but that he has a great plan for us. And in fact, in chapter 1, he starts with the words, you know, every spiritual blessing. He, he wants to talk about, you've been given every spiritual blessing. And then he finishes with those, those verses. And I, last time I spoke, I, I kind of went off on it a little bit. Forgive me for that. But he finishes with those verses in chapter 3 where he says, you know, that you'll be filled with the fullness of God, that the fullness of God is in you and lives in you and exists in you, and, and, and that's how you can live it out. Chapter 4, um, he talks about the body, and, and he, talks, he begins talking about the body and, and that that's the context. You know, these, the guys are sitting around you, the place that you're in now, that that's the context, the first place that he's given you to, to live out that, what he's made you to be and to express that fullness of God. And then Joel spoke, I think last week was it, on learning and, and the second half of chapter 4 where we learn to live it out, where we learn to, to be, um, live out in action the things that um, Paul's been talking about. The context is that Paul is talking to this Ephesian church. I'm not going to go into a big history because we've done that a few times. Something's just dripped on me. But the context is that Paul's talking to a church in Ephesus that has been going for a little while, but they're struggling. You know, this is a rich city. There's so many attractive things and so many things coming into the church and distractions and aberrations and things that aren't really right uh, and so many other things and other things being worshipped in their society. But the church is really challenging. And not just corporately, but the individuals are starting to get challenged and ask, well, what's right? What's wrong? Who am I? You know, where are we going again? And so this is Paul's letter to just encourage them. And we get to chapter 5. And chapter 5 begins with another therefore. And I said that a couple of times. You know, when you see therefore, you've got to ask, what is it? Therefore. And um, so Paul says in chapter 5, he says, therefore... Because all of this is true, and because you are beloved children, because he's just told us all that, and because you're beloved children, therefore, as his children, imitate God. So imitate him, mimic him. God is on the inside of you now, and God is calling the shots in your life. God is the one that's powering your life. Remember the Holy Spirit, that same power in you that, raised, that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. Reflect Him. Imitate Him. As dearly beloved children of God, imitate Him. Reflect Him. It's a big call, isn't it? When you think about it, you think, wow, okay, so... Because imitation is the ultimate form of flattery, isn't it? We say, you know, that um, imitation is the ultimate form of worship. Because you've got to immerse yourself in that person. You've got you've to know them. You've got to know how they respond, what they think. You've, you've got to know what they value. You've got to know what, they, what their focus is, what they like to focus on. You've got to know all that sort of stuff in order to worship them, to, to emulate them, to imitate them. And it's interesting because um, 
You can see that with sports, you know, people try to be like sports, um, sports stars. People get really wrapped up in a particular soccer player. I can remember when, um, when Joel was younger, my son Joel, and um, he, when I would go to, to Holland or so, he would always say, oh, can you get me an, an, an Ajax shirt? And, oh, no problems, you know, that's the Dutch soccer team. But it had to have the right number on it because the right number was the right player, and that is the player that I want to be like. So I'm going to wear his shirt when I'm out there kicking the soccer ball around because then I'll kind of be like him. You know, we laugh at kids, but, you know, we do the same sort of thing. You know, music people that we want to emulate, we want to be like them. Our kids, they, they look at their mums and dads. You know, little boys, they just want to be just like their dad. And they want to be just like him. I'm going to be just like... I can remember I used to say to my brother... My brother and I used to fight about who, which one of us would marry mum. Seriously, we really believed that we needed to take over, you know. And she cooked good, so score. You know, and because kids want to look up to their parents and they want to be like them, they want to imitate them. And, and it's really interesting. And, and um, um, when Joel was really little, when we lived in, in Holland, there was an older guy at the base that we lived and he, did, he took care of the maintenance on the base and he would be always painting or doing something. And Joel was enamored by him. Joel was three years old, three or four, and Joel would follow him around everywhere and sit with him and, and just enamored. And, and one day he was up on a scaffold on a ladder and he was painting the window frames of a window in the building we were staying and Joel was in the grass field behind him watching him. His name was Case. And as Case was painting, he saw in the reflection, he could see Joel copying him. And so he, Case was a bit of a comedian. He wanted to have some fun, so he went like this. And Joel was doing it, you know. And because it, it's what we want to do, you know, when we're little, it's not embarrassing. When we're bigger, it's a little more embarrassing, isn't it? You know, you're, but we, we want to be. Imitation is the ultimate form of flattery. I... Um, Years ago, I was leading a, a school in Holland, a DTS, with a whole lot of young guys. And these guys were from, this <laughs> from a really sort of hyper-Pentecostal sort of background. And Benny Hinn was speaking in, um, in um, uh, Amsterdam. And they said, look, Benny Hinn's speaking in Amsterdam. We'd really love to go. I said, well, that's okay. If you go as a group, just make sure you're back for, for class in the morning. Because DTS is a live-in. They were living there. And off they went to, to see Benny Hinn. This is great you know, evangelist, healer, and, and in those days, it was quite, quite, quite well known that Benny Hinn dressed very well, you know, slick, good suits, but the thing that people knew about him was he didn't wear socks. It was a season where he had these beautiful shoes, but he didn't wear socks in his shoes. The next morning, these six guys came to class. Guess what? Not one of them was wearing socks in their shoes, yeah, because that's what we do. We, we want to imitate someone we really admire, and that's what Paul's saying. You know, you admire God for the amazing things that he's done and imitate him. And this takes, you know, if we're going to do that, this takes serious devotion, time and effort. And there's this sense that you kind of almost have to empty the you, you empty yourself of the you and fill yourself with that person. Be that person. You know, not so long ago, I think some of you might remember it. I think it was only a few weeks ago. Maybe it was a couple of months because time kind of... There was a story in the news in America about a young woman, a young lady, who, um, who actually was, she, was, she, was, she was being convicted of murder. She had murdered another young lady in her town who had been... She had, um, for years as a little kid, had wanted to be that girl. 
had always wanted to be that girl. And so it was found out later on that she had, you know, a couple of years ago, murdered that girl and taken on her identity because she wanted to be. That's how, that's how much it got into her psyche. She wanted to be that person. But you kind of have to be if you're going to imitate somebody, don't you? And so when Paul says this, it's not a throwaway line, is it? How, how do I imitate God? God, how do I do that? And the hint is in what, back in chapter 3, isn't it? That fullness of God, that, that you're being filled to the full measure of the fullness of God, you know. And the fact that you have the power to, that you can and that you're meant to. The Holy Spirit lives in you. But practically, that takes serious... Um, I'm, I was considering, and you know, how do I imitate God, really? Like, really? Not just say it in church, but, you know, it takes serious devotion, time and effort, doesn't it? It takes... It takes hard work. And, and for me, there, and, and for all of us, there's this need to, to empty myself of me so that I can fill myself with him so that I can imitate him. And I realize we're actually being called to do that. We're actually being called to be God, be Jesus to the world. And um, yeah, that's what Paul's hinting at here. But then Paul goes on and he runs through a list of things that shouldn't be a part of, of their life. And, and let's, let's say our life. And he's talking to the Ephesians. Let's say us. Things that don't fit in that image or that reflection or that imitation of who God is. And, and why does he say this? Because he knows and we know that what's on the inside will come out. That is what will be reflected. What fills you expresses itself. And he goes on, he says, you know, don't talk about these sorts of things. Um, don't do these things. I don't let others speak these things into your life. Don't hang out with people that do that, that have that kind of influence in your life. You know, don't join in with those that do that kind of stuff or that talk like that. And, and some specifics he talks about there. What we fill ourselves with will be expressed in our life. And so he's saying, you know, don't fill yourself with those things. Don't do or get involved or hang around those things. And it's hard to hide, isn't it? You know, it's true that what, what's in us will come out. It's kind of hard to hide. We can... You've always seen, you know, there's a difference between what people say and what they do. You can say marvelous things you can say oh, i love god i love jesus and i'm all for him and 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 he's the center and we sing all those wonderful songs and then we pray wonderful prayers and but then if someone watches our life the things that we do actually communicate something different and a whole lot more it's hard to hide what we filled ourselves with and people can tell and paul says if you do if you, do feel you, if you don't fill yourself with God, if you do fill yourself with these things that I'm talking about, there's an exchange that's going to take place, isn't there? God is no longer your focus. God is no longer our focus. He's no longer the center. He's no longer who we're imitating or worshiping because our inner life is now filled by something other than God. And if it is, we can't be reflecting God. Because there's a new focus. There's, a, there's this new thing that's captivating me. There's this new thing that I'm, that I'm after. And if it's not God, then Paul says it's an idol. 
And you might say, well, hang on, look at that list of sins, Andrew. Look, look at that, you know. Um, and he's fairly specific. It's not, no, nowhere near an exhaustive list, but look at those things. I don't get involved in, in that sort of stuff. You know, I'm I, um, immoral, sexually immoral or impure. And check out verse 5, the end of verse 5, if you still can see it. But if not, let me read it to you. For you, might, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, for that is an idolater. Check out verse 5, covet. Paul says that coveting is idolatry. And um, I thought, let me just define covet. So I looked up some definitions. You know how you look up definitions? So good having internet, because you can look up all sorts of definitions and find the one you like best. Or the one that's least confrontational, you know. Or the one that's probably going to be palatable. But hey, this is, what the, this is what it says. Defining covet. To feel strong or immoderate desire for. To wish for something or someone longingly. To fix your sights on. To want. So the covet is kind of like it's... it's looking at externally at something that I wanted, an inordinate um, desire to grab a hold of that. And you see, when we covet, we're actually telling God that we're not satisfied with what we have or who we are. And remember, this is really important for Paul to point out as well, because at the start, in chapter 1, he said, but you have every spiritual blessing. Guys, you have everything. You've been given everything. And so when you're coveting, you're actually saying to God, but no, that wasn't enough or I don't like it because I want something else. Could it be that coveting is the sin of focusing on something else more than God? Putting something else ahead of God. Could this be the sin of our age? Could this be the sin of our generation and our time? You know, if you say, look, (laughs) I haven't been sexual, I haven't done a David with Bathsheba or anything like that. But could it be that coveting, that little word in in verse 5, could it be that that's our struggle? And if there's something more important than God, if there is an idol in our life, then can I be imitating God? That's a really good question. Am I still being an imitator of God? Am I still reflecting Him? So I think that although it's a really small part buried in this text, I think it's kind of critical. I think we can be, and, and I'm speaking for myself as well, guys. Here, you know, I went to, and Glenn will test. I, I struggled with this, um, doing this message and trying to figure out what to do here, and it just made me think too much, you know. So I'm speaking to myself as well, and I think, I th- you know, I think we're tricked into thinking that we're not big sinners. I put big in capitals here, big sinners. I think we kind of kid ourselves. We get tricked into thinking we're not big sinners and that we're okay, that we're not really idolaters. If I walked up to you in coffee afterwards and you hadn't heard this message and I said, are you an idolater? Pfft, no. I think we kind of tricked ourselves into, the fa- in, into thinking that we're not. We may not be big sinners in our terms, but the sin of idolatry is something that I and I think we all struggle with. We think of idolatry as only stuff. You know, I want a car, I want a house, I, I want, you know, a big bank balance, I want, you know, my future and, and that sort of stuff. But what if idolatry is also something like attitude? 
What if idolatry is also something like desires? Your desires. What if idolatry is something like your dreams? Or the pursuits, the things that you really want? Or what if idolatry for you is, is your goals? You've made them idols. Your habit patterns, the things that you can't let go of. What if it's selfish attitudes? What if it's your opinion? What if your idol is the big me? Yourself. What if these things and other things consistently climb onto the throne of my heart or your heart or our hearts and take the lead in our lives? What happens? What if they are what influences the inner me more than God and his plan? What if they are the, the things that influence the inner you and the drive that you have more than God and his plans? What if some of those things are actually what I and we reflect to the people in the world we live in? You know, because I preach, you know, and I say, and I, I, you know, in small groups and in church settings and in Cavell Corner and, and other things, and I pray in my family, I say, God, but what if the idols on my th- on, in my heart are what I actually reflect to the world? And what if this was not God's design for me or my life? It's a lot of what ifs, isn't it? We often imitate and reflect false gods with our lives and actions. That's the conclusion that I came to. We imitate and reflect the replacement of God, which by definition is idolatry. That means we're not being imitators of God anymore. It's not that the other things can't be part of our life. You're not, that's not what I'm saying. And, and, and I challenged myself this week, and I'm thinking, so can't I, I want something, or can't I, or can't I you know... It's not that these things can't be part of our life. It's when they take the limelight, when they take the screen off God, when they take precedence over God, when they trump God in our big decisions and the things that we do. And it's when that's what others see in our lives more than God. When they determine our lives and choices. I was thinking, you know, that old saying, you know, when things have me instead of I have them. That's a kind of good indicator. You know, does, it, does this thing own me or do I own it? You know, what, what's it like? For the Ephesians, this was huge. Again, I'm not going to go back into the history because we've done that. But in Ephesus, there were so many influences and so many affluences in Ephesus compared to the rest of the world. So many opportunities to be stinking rich and to keep it for yourself. So many opportunities to, there were, you know, there were different nations that were, were lower nations that were brought into Ephesus as, as the slaves, as the servants, as the workers. So many opportunities to, to use and abuse them. So many things happening in Ephesus. So many temptations. So much temptation for success. So many false teachings. Which meant that if they were going to get stuck with those things, if they were going to remain in that struggle, that they would not be imitators of God because there was way too many distractions. And in turn, this is what was leading to their struggles, their woes, the disunity, and the things that they were complaining to Paul about and why Paul wrote the letter. You know, because you've taken your eyes off God. You've taken your eyes, you've become covetous. You've become idolaters. 
And the, and the net effect of that is that your life is beginning to suffer. Your church is going to be suffering. Your peace is beginning to suffer. And I think the same is true for us. It is for me anyway. Instead of this huge desire to imitate God, I desire or I covet so many other things. Things that might be good, but they may not be God things. So I ask myself the question, do I desire the things of God or the things of the world? The things that my society says I should desire. The things that society says that I should focus my life on. Do I want those things? Do I chase those things? Do I give my time to those things more than I give my time to God? Are they the kind of things that in my conversations and in my life that reflected to people around me? Is that what I'm imitating? I allow so many other things take center stage in my life. And it means that I don't adequately or accurately reflect and imitate God. I forget those opening words of verse 1 as dearly beloved children. I forget that. I forget that Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. I forget those words. I don't allow them to impact me. Worthy. I forget that I'm worthy of sacrifice. And it's almost as if that wasn't enough for me because I want more. I don't reflect on that, but I reflect on the other stuff. And then I wonder why I struggle. And we wonder why we struggle. Why things aren't working in our life. And Paul's making a clear picture there. He says, because you know, you're going to struggle unless you keep God as a center. You know, but Paul, you know, this is all sounds really, but Paul doesn't leave us or the Ephesians without hope or a way to combat this. And this is really interesting. There's a couple of little key things in there you'll see that Paul encourages them with. So here's a couple of the antidotes, if you like, or the anti-venom or the, the, the antidote, yeah, to idolatry. And the first one is thanksgiving. You'll see a couple of times in there he talks about thanksgiving. Paul says, instead, let there be thanksgiving. In verse 4, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. If I'm busy being thankful for what God through Jesus did for me, if I'm busy being thankful for this fact that I am a beloved child, that I've been given everything I need, that the power of God is, is resting and invested in me, if I'm busy being thankful for that and my focus is on Him, and if I really am thankful, if I take time to ponder on that and, and think about that and think, yeah, you know, this is me, God did that for me. And I want that to be reflected in my life, my lifestyle, my choices, my priorities, etc. Because then my focus is on God. Thanksgiving is the antidote to coveting. If I'm happy with what I have or who I am and what was done for me, then I won't have an unhealthy desire. Notice I'm not saying I won't have any desires. I won't have an unhealthy or an unbalanced desire for what doesn't fit in my job of reflecting God to the world. Because there's no room for idols, because God is in my frame. He's on my throne. There is room for things, but God is first. 
So the first one is thanksgiving. The second thing Paul says, try to discern, you know, try to figure out what pleases God. In verse 10 and in verse 17, he says, he says a kind of similar thing. In 10, he says, and try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Stop for a minute and you're struggling. Stop for a minute and try to think what might please God here. In chapter 17, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand the will of God. To do this, you've got to get into the Word. You've got to share together. You've got to challenge each other. You've got to, you've got to pray. You know, perhaps study something. You know, study parts of the Word. To do that, you've got to get to know what the will of God is and then get keen to figure out what the will of God is. So the first thing, the first antidote to coveting is, is thanksgiving. If I'm being thankful, then my, fo- my focus is on God and I'm busy just overwhelmed with thanks for who he made me to be and what he's done for me. And I won't have other idols on the throne. I won't be coveting. The second thing is you know, try to reflect on what God wants. Discern, understand, figure out what it is that God wants for me. Chase that down and figure out how I'm supposed to live for him. And finally, the third thing, and there's probably more in here, but the third thing is, he puts it right back in the context of the body. And last time I spoke up here, I said, you know what? Paul said a couple of times, you know the best place to practice this? In the body. He puts it right back in the context of the body, in community. And he says towards the end of our reading, encourage each other in this, with word, with worship, with prayer. You know, the, he uses language like singing and making melody and, and, you know, addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Can you? I was thinking what that would look like. Can you imagine when you addressed each other, when you walked in the door, you started singing a psalm or something? Or yodeling on your way in for some of you? For those of you that can't sing, bawbling? Can you imagine what that's like? And and maybe that's not what he's saying we need to do right now. But I do think that makes me think about our worship. It makes me think, you know, our worship in singing. It makes me think about our prayer. And it makes me think about when we gather together, what it is we're here to do. And he's saying, you know what you're doing? Is you're here to encourage one another. You're here to build one another up. And you're using the worship to do that. You're reminding each other. You know, you're sitting there singing, how great is that God? Isn't that right? You're nudging the person next to you. you know, and you're praying together. You're sharing prayer points. You say, wow, that's really cool because I can pray for that situation now. Or, or how can I help that out? You know how? Because I'm focusing on being someone that God made me to be. So it's in the body. Giving thanks for God with each other, sharing testimonies, helping each other remember how good God is. Because you know what? We're not always doing great, are we? So you need other people to, oh, yeah, that's right. It is good. I am okay. God is good. And the first three chapters remind us of this, and the first verses here do as well. Because we're dearly loved. You, me. We're dearly loved. We're wanted. You and I, we were saved by a huge sacrifice. And God did that because he wanted to do that. We were saved for eternal life. But we also have a purpose in this life. And that's the key thing that Paul's looking at there. So we can be imitators of God, can't we? We want to be imitators of God because we see We know and we understand how it changed us and how it can change other people. We don't want to distort or muddy or dirty the reflection of God to the world by making life about us, making everything about us and and chasing our dreams. 
We want people to see Jesus and that we are all about him. And then, as the um, heading of this chapter is, as Paul says, we will be walking in love. Sound too hard? It did to me when I started thinking about it. But I can do it because God has given me the power to do it. I was born through my parents in this time, in this generation, in this physical set of time to be a reflector, to be an imitator of God. That's why God dreamed me into being. That's why he dreamed you into being. And you can do it. Just ensure that there are no other idols. You're not hearing me say there are no other things in your life. But oh boy, I know it and you know how quickly those things can become way more important than the things of God. How quickly I make the exchange for those things rather than the things of God. I'll sacrifice for some stuff. But to my shame, I'll sacrifice quicker for things that I feel like a personal gain than I'll sacrifice for the kingdom of God. What's that like in your life? I'm going to give you um, a minute. I just want to spend a minute quietly because I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit to... Show him, are there any idols or any things in your life that actually are either doing it or risk trumping God and screening him out? And I want you just to spend a few moments thinking about that. I'll just introduce that with prayer and then I'm going to have you um, pray with each other. So God, Holy Spirit, as we just spend a few moments pondering now, I just pray that you would show us, Lord, whether there are areas that, that do live in our hearts that are the bigger things than you or there were a risk of those things lord what are the idols what are the things that we chase and dream about that quickly kick you off the throne so holy spirit speak to us now i pray What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to find three other people. And uh, this might mean getting up and walking around, and that's fine. I'd like you to find three other people that are not your direct family and get a bit of a generational mix and a gender mix. And I'd like you just to sit down for five minutes and just share with each other, did, did God show you anything? Was there anything that you saw? Or, or you know, do you see this in your life in any way? And just share that with each other and then just have a quick pray with each other. We're only going to give five minutes for that, so you need to move quickly like as in now. <laughs> 